Livermore podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Harris. Hey everybody, Pastor Josh here. We are continuing our study in the book of Matthew. And I want to encourage us as we meditate on God's word from this scripture. It's written in John chapter 5. So I know we're talking about Matthew. Let's jump to John really quick and look at a thought that will help frame our discussion as we jump into God's word together. Uh, Jesus made this comment. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Now, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. He's not talking about the book of Matthew in this context. But we understand today by the Holy Spirit, God supernaturally put together an inerrant collection of works, a canon of works we call the Holy Bible. It's the Old Testament, uh, which are the scriptures Jesus is referencing here, that the, what's called the Tanakh sometimes. Uh, you got the Torah, and then you got the prophets, and then you got the writings, and you mix all that together, and we call that our Old Testament. It also includes, now we get by revelation, the New Testament. Here's the point I want to make. Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what we want to do as we approach God's word, as we approach the scriptures, any scriptures, the New Testament, the Old Testament, we want to approach those from a place of humility to go, Jesus, we're coming to you that you might show yourself to us through the scriptures that we might enjoy life. Can we just pray together now as we start that journey? Lord, I pray that as we open your word, you would speak to us. You, we come to you that we might have life. God, let your life flow through your word. Help us to find you in your word that we might enjoy and experience your life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we jump into Matthew, I love the first verse of Matthew because it helps us get focused on Jesus. It says this is the genealogy of Jesus. That means the Savior. He's the one. What does Savior mean? You're someone in prison somehow. You're stuck in a situation. Someone got you out. I was joking with someone recently. It's Liam Neeson and Taken, right? He's the guy who gets you you're in a stuck situation, somebody comes and finds you and saves you out of that situation, that's a savior. Jesus is that for us. He is the Christ, the anointed one or the Messiah, the person specifically chosen and empowered by God to bring about his purposes on the earth. What purposes? His kingdom coming. So he talks about the son of David, that, that implies kingship, that God's rule and reign, he's restoring order, ruling and reigning in a way that will produce life. Now, we learn his kingdom is not of this world, it's really of our hearts, and he begins to start there and build there until his second coming, where he restores everything the way it should be. And then it says he's the son of Abraham, which means the covenant faithfulness. The children of Abraham, the promise to them is they'll be blessed, they'll be a blessing, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through them. We see the fulfillment of that in Jesus. Now, we're going to focus a lot on the kingship part of this because a lot of Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven and how that kingdom has now come, it's approaching, it's coming within us, and how that's going to change how we live, how we think, how we act. And that introduces us to an interesting thought, how we interact with God's laws or God's rules. What are the rules of this new kingdom? Uh, Jesus makes this uh, statement in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think I, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So there's this whole doctrine called replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel, and therefore we don't even need to read. Some churches don't even read the Old Testament at all. That's all done. We don't need it anymore. It's over. Jesus didn't say that. He said, I haven't come to abolish any of that. I've come to fulfill the things written about there. So how does that play out in our life? Why do we care and, and what does that mean for us? Well, he goes on to explain. 
He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, watch this, until everything is accomplished. So one of the things we've got to figure out when we look at the Old Testament is, is what's written there already accomplished by Jesus or is it something we still need to do ourselves? Uh, And let me go on and explain that as we look at this next verse. It says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly, I tell you that unless your righteousness, and this would have freaked out the people Jesus is talking to. When he makes this statement, they would all get either very depressed, very surprised, or very confused, maybe very angry. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. These are the most religious people. They follow all the rules. They make sure, um, you know, they, they, every detail, they talk about how like, you know, uh, tithing, right? Giving 10% to God. They would take 10 little seeds. Okay, that first seed's for God, nine little seeds, first little seed. They wouldn't even break it down in a big group. It's each seed at a time because they were so nervous about breaking the law. And he says, unless you're even more righteous this righteous than these people who spend their whole life trying to obey God's laws, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we talk about the good news, this doesn't sound like good news. I have to be more righteous than the most righteous, holy, uh, religious people on the planet. I have to exceed them. That doesn't sound like something that is good news for me, okay? So what we're going to learn from Jesus is that there's a righteousness that he teaches there's a righteousness about the kingdom of heaven. There's, a, there's an understanding of the rules of the kingdom of heaven that actually doesn't say, oh, righteousness can be less. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, oh, there's grace for that. And it's kind of like, well, as Christians, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we can get away with doing bad stuff because anyway, he forgives us. Jesus actually turns that on its head. He says, man, if you think those people uh, are, are trying to live up to a certain high moral standard, let me tell you what the real moral standard is. And he ramps it up intensely. Uh, So let's look at that right now. He says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you. Now, what Jesus is going to do in these next verses is he's going to ramp up everything in the law and make it more intense and more internal. He's going to say, it's not just about what you do. It's about why you do what you do. It's not just about not doing bad things. It's about whether or not you do the right things. So look what he says here. Uh, Anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wow. I mean, I look at that and go, man, I get angry with people. Again, anyone who says to a brother, raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, watch this, will be danger of hellfire. This made me really nervous for Mr. T. If any of you remember the 80s, I pity the fool. He would always say that. It says he's in danger of hellfire. What happened here? Jesus is looking at the law and he starts ramping up the intensity of those laws. We've heard it said, don't commit adultery. He goes, no, don't lust. We've heard it said, hey, if you divorce, do it legally, do it rightly. He said, no, don't divorce at all. Now, there are situations where he empowered it in different places, uh, but it was in very extreme cases. And him, to the extent that he could, said, don't get divorced. Uh, The law says, fulfill your oaths. He says, don't even make oaths. And why is that intensifying? Because he's saying, if you said yes, you better do it. If you said no, you better not do it. It's not about even whether you made an oath or not. It's let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Uh, He talked about equivalent retribution 
in the in the Old Testament law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? Like this idea of equivalent retribution for something done wrong against you. Jesus goes the other way. Bless them instead. They try to take your coat, give them your tunic. They make you go one mile, go two miles. Slaps you on the right cheek, give them the other cheek to slap. It seems impossible to us. He says, look, the law says love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say even love your enemies. In other words, in short, be perfect. Now, when we read this, this should be overwhelming to us. Because we go, there's no way. We can't even do the stuff, the external stuff. It's not even just about avoiding doing bad things. Jesus has ramped it up to say, it's about doing the good that you should do. You know, it's a very subtle difference between saying, don't do to other people things you wouldn't want done to yourself. That's a good truth, and it's something you should believe, but it's not how Jesus thinks. Jesus goes, it's not just about avoiding doing the bad thing. He goes, you should do what you would want others to do for you. So he's now completely changing the framework to say, righteousness is not even about avoiding bad things. It's about discerning, learning from God to do the things you should do. And now he tells you how to do those, the flavor in which to do them. If you're listening so far, I want to call time out for just a second and say this. When you read through chapter 5, 6, 7 of Matthew, it can start feeling very overwhelming. Man, I cannot live up to what you're saying, Jesus. And I want us to understand, in part, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, look, living righteous the way God intended is not something human beings can pull off themselves. And he's going to show us that's why you need a savior. That's why it's good news that I am Jesus, the savior, the one who saves. That's why it's good news I'm the Messiah, the one who comes, who dies for you, the death you deserve to die for not being able to do all these things. Then he rises from the dead three days later to show I can bring you into new creation, into new life, into new hope. I can actually put my spirit inside you and empower you to live differently. You know, the spirit of God inside us can actually empower us to love our enemies. The spirit of God inside us can actually train us and teach us to bless when others curse. For me, that's very unnatural. It's not something I do naturally at all. But God's presence, God's power, God's spirit can actually help us live this way we're intended to live. Now he goes on and he challenges us how we live. He says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So now he's not only saying do the righteous things, he's saying do them a very specific way. If you give, give in secret. If you pray, pray in secret. If you fast, fast in secret. And then he goes on to give the verses why he's saying that. And in each case, the reasoning is this. What's done in secret will be rewarded by the Father. What the Father is looking for is not just somebody who on stage, a lot of people willing to pray on stage. A lot of people willing to do stuff for God in front of people to get praised by people. I'm speaking the word of God right now. And to some extent, it makes me feel good because I'm being seen as someone who's doing something for God. Jesus says, be very careful about that. Don't get into that. If you're giving, don't let it be about what everybody's seeing you give. Okay. Now look, if somebody's giving and they're blessing and they put it on TikTok or something, let's be happy they're giving. Okay. Let's be happy they're helping people in need. Let's not judge other people. But for ourselves, hey, if I'm going to give, let's give from a position where you, know, you don't know the left hand, what the right hand's doing. If I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray in secret. If I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast where you can't tell I'm fasting. Why? So that the Father who sees in secret will reward you. God cares about what's going on when no one's watching. 
Because when no one's watching, he's still watching. It's not actually true no one's watching. And when he recognizes you're doing something just because you love him, he is honored by that and he rewards you. Now he goes on to say this, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask. Then he says, this then is how you should pray. So now he's gonna teach us how to pray. What I wanna highlight as we go through this prayer is Jesus is all about substance, not about style. He's all about reality, not about show. He doesn't want you saying, oh Lord and hallelujah and praise the Lord and I know all the big words and I use long syllable words and I say big things. He's going, look, what I'm looking for is people who really believe what they're saying, who are really doing what they're saying they're trying to do. When I look around this world right now, in many nations, the reason people aren't interested in Christianity, the reason they're not interested in Jesus is not because Jesus isn't cool. It's not because they're not amazed by some of the things he taught or some of the things he did. A lot of times it's, oh, I know Christians and how they act is very different than what they say. What we saw behind the scenes was not what they were showing you at church or at some meeting or outside or whatever it is. We don't want to be people putting on a mask, putting on a fake visage and acting like we're someone that we're not really internally. So he's, here's how he says to pray. First and foremost, you go, our Father in heaven. This thing is about a relationship with a real God. Uh, my brother, who is, a massive, who is a massive influence in my life, uh, used to tell me this when I was saying, hey, I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling to figure out this prayer thing. He goes, pretend God is real and talk to him like he's real. And I was like, well, that's weird. God is real. Why would you say pretend he's real? He's got, because you're acting like he's not real. It's why you think you have to have magic words. It's why you think you have to clean yourself up and say it the right way and kind of hide how you actually feel instead of just sharing with God what's really in your heart. And he said, that doesn't work. Go to God and recognize he's real. He's our father. There's a community of people who God interacts with as a father. So let's rightly relate ourselves to him. He's real. He's a father who wants to have a relationship with us. Now he's in heaven. In other words, he's the spiritual father who's everywhere and he's big and he's powerful. And that's why the next part is hallowed be thy name. That means you're holy, you're set apart, you're bigger, you're greater. Let me remember how great you are. Uh, I was talking to a few people just yesterday and I asked them, if you could explain who is God in one word, what word would you choose? And some person chose friend, uh, one said superhero, uh, one person said creator. And what creator spoke to me when they said that was this. When I, and one person said love, which was, wow, that's huge too. But when they said creator, here's what I thought of. It reminded me that when my life goes crazy, hallowed be your name, God, God, when my life goes crazy, you're the one who made all this. You're the sovereign creator God who can make worlds. Your words produce worlds. And so if that's true of you, I can have a lot more peace in my life knowing you are big, you are strong, and you are able to help me in my time of need. So rightly relating myself to God, he's my father. He's also holy. He's also amazing and set apart and totally different. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me realign myself to your purposes. You know, too fast often my prayers are moving on to my needs when I haven't recognized, hey God, what you've actually called me to say is, am I aligning to your purposes? Not just are you answering my prayer requests. Am I aligning to your purpose? So God, let your kingdom come in my life. In other words, am I living the way your kingdom's being described over the last few weeks that we've looked at? 
Am I doing your will? Am I no figuring out what your will is? Am I listening long enough to understand what your will is? Am I reading your word long enough to understand what your will might be for me? And can I live that out on earth as it is in heaven? In other words, perfectly. And the answer to that is no. So God, help me. God, help your kingdom come to my heart. God, help your will be done in my life. God, help me live out the way your angels fully obey you. Help me learn how to obey you in that same understanding that I hear you will, that I obey you will. And that's what grace is really all about. Grace isn't something to make sin go away. Mercy is what covers your sin. Grace is God's supernatural empowerment that enables you to live differently by faith in him. That's why uh, Titus, for example, says, uh, the grace of God has appeared to all men, and that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. How do we live his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? God, let your supernatural grace power touch me so I can live differently. Now, give us today our daily bread. Hey, I got needs. Uh, They could be physical needs. They could be emotional needs. They could be spiritual needs. They could be financial needs. Give us what we need for today, God. God, you've poured manna down from heaven from people in the past. You've given them provision of of strength uh, or wisdom or patience or whatever grace they needed, whatever ability they needed for a day. Give me today the ability that I need for today. Forgive us our debts. Uh, God, we recognize you on the cross died for all our sins. Forgive us. Sometimes the, the request of God, hey, forgive me for what I've done. It's not that Jesus didn't forgive you. He already knew what was happening on the cross. It's a process for us to come back to him, recognize our guilt, repent, turn, rethink, change our mind and go, hey, God, I recognize I was mean. I was short with that person yesterday. Uh, I'm asking you to forgive me that debt. That's a debt to you for me to live. I should be living in a way that shows Jesus to the world. Help me do that. Forgive me my debt. Empower me afresh to live differently. Interestingly, as we have also forgiven our debtors. This helps us reflect. I love how he positions this, Jesus, in this prayer, because there's some people I'm like, man, I don't want to forgive that guy. But if I just finish asking God to forgive me and I'm honest and realize how much he's forgiven me for, it makes it a lot easier for me to forgive somebody else. God, forgive me how I've been short with my kids and how I lost my temper and how I acted this way. Oh, but I don't want to forgive that person who was slightly mean to me on the bus. Oh, wait, wait, no. God, if you've forgiven me this way, I want to forgive others in the same way. Let me rightly align my heart and my attitude to your kingdom's purpose, which is to love. And lead us not into temptation. You know, it's funny. The Bible actually talks about these temptations, like in James and other places, to count it joy when we face them because it develops our character, helps us grow and stuff. But here it's saying, lead us not into temptation. Why? God, I don't want to face something that's not from you. I'll face a trial if you put a trial in front of me. I'll face suffering if you've called me to face suffering. I'll face persecution if you've called me to face persecution because if you sent me there, you're giving me the grace for it. But don't, God, lead me. Don't help help me avoid leading myself, really, ultimately, into a place where I'm in a temptation, I'm in a trial that's not from you because if I don't have your grace, I won't be able to overcome. So God, help me to face the trials that you've prepared for me. Help lead me away from the things that aren't from you, the temptations that aren't from you, the trials that I'm not ready for, and help me run after you. There's a story in the Old Testament of a guy who's running after a great general. The general's name's Abner. Uh, and the young man is running after him. And Abner's calling back to him, you're not ready to fight me yet. Go turn aside and fight somebody else. Because if I kill you, your brothers are going to end up killing me. And the guy won't stop. He keeps running. 
And it was a lesson to me. Sometimes we're running after stuff. We're running into trials. We're running into challenges. We're running into things. And God's saying, not yet. Here, there's this verse that takes genuine humility. God, help me know myself. Help me be self-aware enough to not lead into false temptations and trials. The end of that story was that young man ran himself literally to death, and it caused the death of the other person as well. God, I don't want to be led to a temptation that's not from you. Deliver me, Lord, from the evil one. There is the spiritual reality of evil facing us in the world. Here, Jesus encourages us. This is his kingdom principle. Focus on God, the king of the kingdom. Focus on the purpose of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom. Get my heart aligned to kingdom purposes and then get equipped. Uh, We can go to Ephesians 6, other places. Put on the armor of God. Put on faith. Put on his word. Put on his righteousness put on his salvation and say, deliver me, God, by your supernatural power. Help me walk in freedom from any attack of the evil one. Why is all this so important? We jump back to where we skipped ahead a little bit in Matthew. And in Matthew 5, he says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? God already thinks you're someone who adds preserving power to the world. He's already someone Uh, He thinks you're someone who adds flavor to the world. You're the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What are we saying? You are salt and you are light. You're preserving. You're flavoring. You're illuminating truth. You're bringing hope to people who stand in darkness. So God's saying, let me process your soul in the secret place so that you can become someone who becomes salt and becomes light to the world so that the world can be changed and the kingdoms of this world can become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ so that love and peace and joy will reign once again. How does it happen? It starts in our hearts. The kingdom comes to our heart. So God gives us kingdom principles. One of the first kingdom principles he teaches us is, I have higher standards, but I'm not asking you to just obey rules or hyper grace excuses. What do I mean by that? We, we mean, we're not just sitting here saying, well, Jesus did righteousness for us. Jesus fulfilled the law so I can do whatever I want. That's not a kingdom principle. The kingdom principle is this. I cannot fulfill the law because the heart of it's too big for me. But Jesus did fulfill the law and now his spirit comes inside me and awakens my spirit and gives me new life and empowers me to live differently, to live like him. Neither allowing for myself to live in sin nor living some sort of righteous, uh, falsely righteous external laws. And that's what we talk about here. Relationship-based honor, not religious adherence. In other words, I'm not just getting a list from God and I'm just checklisting the list to make sure I obey all his rules. I'm walking in relationship with God, so I not only obey the rules, but I discern and understand the heart of the rules. As we journey through Matthew, we're going to find places where the disciples or even Jesus did things that at first people thought, well, that's not what the law says. You're doing something that's wrong. But Jesus would explain the heart, the relational heart of God in the rule is actually being fulfilled in where they were walking, where they were going, and what they were doing. Ultimately, we're talking about love, not legalism. Love does not mean freedom to do whatever you want. True love discerns well enough to know I need to be patient with that person. I need to forgive that person. I need to believe things, hope things, endure things. 
I need to live differently based on love. Love doesn't mean do whatever you want. Hey, Mike loves me anyway. Let me go beat him up behind the camera after this time of sharing. That's not love. But neither is it legalism. In other words, neither is it, hey, I just fulfill all the rules, even though my heart's not with you, even though I don't actually care about you, but I did the things the law commanded me to do for you. That's not God's heart. God's heart is that we love him and love one another enough to choose to care, to choose to provide, to choose to protect, to choose to work together to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to be a kingdom people. What are kingdom people like? They're moving from external obedience into internal submission. Again, what does that mean? It means I'm not just following the rules to the letter externally. My heart is actually turning to understand the purpose of the rules. Now, the external action might be the same, but the heart that the action is coming from is different. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you where someone's doing something for you, but you can tell their heart is not with you. It's actually a frustrating and sad thing. You ruin the joy of the serving when that happens. And so we want to move from just external obedience to internal submission to God's will and purposes. We want to move from show to substance. It's easy to sit here and preach to a, to a, to a screen where I don't get any negative feedback. I feel good about myself. I feel like I accomplished something. I get to see my face on YouTube and go, oh, look at me, I did something. It's fun to preach on a, on a church service where people look at you and go, wow, that guy's either good or bad or you like this or don't like that. And you feel like you accomplished something. Jesus is saying, I wanna pull you away from a place that it's about what others see. I wanna pull you from a stage to the secret place. I wanna know if this prayer is how you really live your life. I want to know if what you say about marriage is actually how you live your marriage. I want to know if how you talk about giving is how you actually give when no one's watching. I want to know if what you say about prayer is true publicly, but is it also true privately for you? Why? Because who we are in private is who we really are. Who we are when no one's watching other than God is who we really are. And God wants that person to be full of life, full of hope, and full of joy. Ultimately, so his kingdom purposes could happen on the earth. What are his kingdom purposes? Number one, restored relationship with the Father. I love the fact that he starts his prayer with our Father. That is a rocking, shocking, crazy statement uh, to many of the people who had been exposed to religion up to that point. The idea that you could boldly proclaim the God of the whole universe as your Father was a massive thing. And Jesus says that's natural in the kingdom. There's a relationship here. Now, that relationship has hierarchy, but it's a relational hierarchy. It's a father. It's not just a Lord. It's a father. It's not just a creator. It's a father. And in his mind, that word father is love, protection, provision, and purpose. Some of us maybe haven't experienced that with father. He's going to redeem that word father as we see uh, this journey continue through the Gospels. Again and again and again, Jesus showing us what father is all about. The good news is what we do, if it becomes substance and in the secret and from an internal place of genuine submission to God, not just external obedience, the Bible's promise is we will be richly rewarded by the Father, not just people thinking you're good, not just certain externals that you might get from putting on a good show, but the Father himself will richly reward us as we obey his kingdom purposes when no one else is watching except him. And finally, we'll rightly represent the Father. You know why we don't rightly represent the Father sometimes? Because it's all about the show. It's all about the stage. It's all about the external obedience instead of the genuine heart that desires relationship with the Father. 
I find the more I'm focused on Father, the better benefit I am to everybody else around me. The more I'm focused on other things and other needs and the fear of man and looking good to that person and looking good to that person, the less benefit I provide to those people. The more I'm focused on the Father, the more I'm a blessing to others because I'm rightly representing Him to others and He is the source of real life for them. As we close our time together, we normally invite you to take bread in a cup and you just take that in your own time. And so I'll let you do that. The reason we do that again and again and again is to remember Jesus fulfilled the law. You know why we don't, if you read some of those old laws, one of the things you'll read and it'll, it'll kind of throw you off, there's a lot of animal sacrifices. But you go, okay, I don't want to obey those laws. I don't want to sacrifice any animals. The reason we don't is Jesus already became a sacrifice for us. He died the death we deserve to die. And when we take the bread, we remember his body broken for us. When we take the cup, we remember his blood shed that we might be set free. Now, because he's fulfilled those rules, we don't have to do sacrifice anymore because they are fulfilled. What we do have to do is obey the new law, the law of love. The ultimate purpose of all his law, he says, is summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So as we go this week, let's set our hearts to love God more and love each other more by his grace. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.